0: about learning to listen in a world of talkers. Michael McDonald, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you for uh, letting me join you, Jonathan.
0: Yeah, it is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Grand Cayman Islands today, which is super exotic, and I'm super jealous. I'm south of Salt Lake City <laughs> in Utah. Uh, it's lovely here too, but we just had snow last week. And so, <laughs> you know, in comparison, it sounds like you're in, in quite the paradise Um uh, that said, I will take my dogs on a walk probably up the canyon later today. So there, there's pros and cons, right? Uh, it's, it's really a pleasure to be with you, Michael. And I'm super excited to have a nice conversation. We're going to be talking about learning to listen in a world of talkers. Now, of course, I'm not the irony of this is not lost on me. We're going to be talking about listening. <laughs> uh, and, and this is a podcast. So obviously, we're going to have a nice conversation around all this. But with the main purpose of really trying to better understand how can we listen better? How can We be more attentive? How can we be more present? How can we really listen, not to think about how we can say the next thoughtful thing, um, but how can we really listen to understand and really know where the other people around us are coming from so that we can be better for them, so we can serve them better and we can lead them better? That's really the premise of the conversation that we're going to be having together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Michael's bio with everybody. Michael McDonald retired from Metafast in 2020 and has served as a non-executive chairman of the board since January of 2018. McDonald previously served as the executive chairman of the board from November 2011 until December 2017. He was promoted to chairman and chief executive officer in February 2012. Prior to this role with the company, he was executive vice president of OfficeMax from August to October of 2011, overseeing the contract division, uh, $3.6 billion division of the OfficeMax Corporation. He then spent 33 years in sales marketing and general management at Xerox Corporation prior to joining OfficeMax. And I could really go on and on and on, but I'll pause there for a moment and give you a chance Michael, to share anything else about yourself that you would like listeners to know about your background, your personal context. It can be your, your career, of course, but also anything from your personal life that you might want to share.
1: Yeah, I, I would just say that uh, for me, I have spent 42 years in business and I had uh, uh, broad experiences. I was in the copier business and the technology business with Xerox I was in the office, low margin office supply business with uh, Office Max. And I went into a totally different business with MetaFast, which was the diet uh, business and also multi level marketing, which you know in Utah, there are many large multi level marketing companies. And uh, I also spent 10 years on the board of directors of companies like USLEC and PayTech in the telecom business. So one of the things I'd start out with is that if you're a good executive and you have a a affinity to learn and you're a lifetime learner, you can learn any business and be successful at it. You don't have to just be in one thing or the other. So one thing I would encourage people is to be a lifetime learner. And then the other thing for me, what I'm doing now is I'm a board member and have been for over 30 years with the Jimmy V foundation for cancer research. And to me, that's my priority now is to help raise money uh, to defeat that dreaded disease. In fact, Dick Vitale, one of my former coaches, was just uh, declared cancer-free, and he's been battling cancer, uh, and that's been on the national media. But Dick uh, coached me when I was 18 years old as an assistant coach at Rutgers. I've known him for many years, and then as a board member on the uh, V Foundation. And uh, uh, lastly, I think that uh, uh, you know a business career... Uh, one, I think one of the most important things you can, you can focus on is your own ethics and integrity, no matter what you do in any business uh, occupation you're in. And that goes without saying. And I think in my book, From the Bench to the Boardroom, which I'll talk about later, I try to talk about how being involved in sports, being involved uh, in a competitive environment, and how you can take all the attributes you learn from any sport you play, uh, and apply those successfully to developing skills that help you as you go into a business career and as you start a journey of lifetime learning. Because I learned a ton being in big companies like Xerox and Office Max and things like that, uh, where they trained you and did many things outside of the normal university training that you know we all get.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And you you bring such a rich career and background of experiences. to your point, there's no, like, we don't have to take a linear path. We don't have to like do all the same thing. And we know that most people nowadays, they do switch career paths. They do change entire jobs uh, types but also career types over the course of their working life and 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 that's great I think that's something we can definitely lean, lean into it does mean we have to continuously be learning though it means we can't get stagnant we can't become complacent and we have to continually be developing and one of the best ways that I know to continually be developing is to Exercise a little bit of intellectual humility, recognize that maybe we don't know everything. Maybe we don't know everything um, ab- about a particular context or situation and that we need to listen more as, as the line from Hamilton goes, we need to talk less and listen more um, and, so that we can really uh, understand better what's, what's going on. And as we listen more, we, we're going to learn more. And as we learn more, we're going to be in a better position to lead and serve those around us
1: you know, I I think that's very, very important. In fact, I would say early in my career, I probably didn't listen as well as I should have. And when I was, this is when I was young, when I was a sales manager, started out in sales in the copy business and I was a sales manager. And it was really funny. The person who got me more attuned to listening was my wife. I, I would go home and sometimes I'd be so fixed on what I was doing with work and this and that. And she'd be talking and she'd stop me and she'd say, you know what? you're going to pay attention, you're going to really listen? Or are you going to just think you're listening to what I'm saying and continue to do what you're saying? And then uh, I think I was 26 years old, and one of the managers wrote in a review to me and said, Mike, you need to listen better. And you know what, I really started to focus on that. And what I found was by listening better, when I was working with teams or groups, you created a far better environment, where people felt good about themselves, because they would all give their opinions. And it's not always easy, because generally in groups, when you have uh, talented executives, and remember most companies, whether it's Xerox or office, people are very smart. I mean, the people, companies don't hire people that don't have a high degree of intelligence. So you're dealing generally with an assumption that, you know, the people you work with are going to be Pretty intelligent people all have different views, different cultural backgrounds, uh, you know, come from different places, but they all have that, that innate intelligence to really add value. And I think one of the things that I found was just like in basketball, when you play for a very good coach, the reason teams are good is they listen to the coach. By the way, people accept their roles you know somebody's going to be the star somebody's going to be a shooter somebody's going to be a defender but you accept your roles on the team and and where teams are good is everybody accepts the role the coach gives them and then they go out and they play and they try to perform at the highest level they have well when you're in work groups and teams and you're focusing listening and you're working on a problem and everybody gives their input not just maybe one or two or three people that are the more boisterous type people, because many reserve people, I remember I hired a young sales rep to handle a military base. It was a quiet guy and everybody said to me, well, he's not gonna be successful in sales he was terrific because in the military, they don't want aggressive people coming in there. They're very bureaucratic. They want you to listen, they, they have their needs and they want you to meet their needs, but they don't want you to uh, you know, be the typical sales rep who's coming in and going for your throat or whatever. And I found that that's the same way in meetings. If you can get those quiet or reserved people to participate and listen to what they have to say, then the outcomes you get are far greater than if you're just listening to you know, if you know have a group of 10 and you just listen to the top three or four who are the most aggressive, who really like to hear themselves talk. And in some cases, you have to be careful that there are many people who want to hear themselves talk, but they're not really saying anything that's that important. And but they want you to hear what they have to say. And I think, you know, the more you can get participation, the more you can listen to people and, and have them feel like you care about their opinions, the stronger your team is. And by the way, the stronger your leadership becomes because, you know, leadership is not about everybody saying, everybody says, well, he's a great leader. You're not a great leader unless you have followers. So leadership is about followership. Leadership means that the people working for you or the people down in the organization, they get aligned with you and they really care about the success of the group. And by the way, your success and those kind of things are very, very important. And you develop those skills by participating and listening better to those individuals. And by the way, when you meet one-on-one with people, it was funny. There were a lot of managers at Xerox who used to have formal one-on-ones. They'd call a person in their office. They'd take out all their paperwork, and they'd be asking questions, writing everything down. And what I did was I would meet you and travel with you for the day in your car. And i travel, and we go make sales calls, and we talked all day about the business and what you were working on, what you were doing. And we spent a day together. And I take the person to lunch and make sure we, enjoy, you know, had a had a good day. The end of the day, I got all the information I needed in a far less formal environment, and one where we were talking all day while we were visiting customers, while we were working, and you know, finding out about someone's family and what they're doing, and and it became a far more. A personally rewarding experience than just your typical formal business environment experience, which many people, and I've been in many of them, I haven't enjoyed, where you get in there and you get grilled about the business results and this and this and this. And it's it's really more of a uh, an old militaristic style that was used in the 70s and 80s. So I think that today um, the world is changing. Um, by the way, many people will say, well, you know, the way the baby boomers, which I will, did it better, millennials don't work as hard. That's all BS. Uh, the, the people today working, just they work different. Like I see my son who's 33. He works totally different than I work. But by the way, are they working hard? Yes, they're working very hard. They're on 24-7 on cell phones, doing this, doing that. Hey, when I was a young manager, they didn't have cell phones. <laughs> you know? So you would call a pay phone, then you wait to get back to your office to use a phone to call and set up appointments. So today, I think, um, you know, there's tremendous talent out there uh, in the work world, uh, young people and and by the way, I think there's tremendous opportunities for young people because you have so many entrepreneurial opportunities today where big companies, you know, aren't where they were before. I mean, there's some, there's the Googles that are rising and you know, Facebook and a lot of the uh, high-tech companies that used to be the IBM's the Xerox, and the Procter and Gambles of 30 years ago. But the reality is there are many entrepreneurial things you can do today that are very exciting for young people because of the technology that's out there to make them work. And I think that uh, uh, it, 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 to me, the workplace today is every bit, if not more exciting than it was when I started.
0: Uh, yeah. You, so much there. And I really like the focus as a foundational component to everything you were just saying about the need to listen. I love the example of, of just writing along with your employee to just have those informal kinds of opportunities and, you know, having a formal one-on-one and having performance reviews, like there's, that's fine. There's a time and a place for those things. Um, but we need to have, we need to foster kind of an environment, a culture, and really relationships with our people where we can have those informal conversations. And let's let's take those opportunities wherever we can find them. And, and in your situation, that was riding along with them for the day and having those organic conversations. That isn't gonna be the same for everyone, right? But, but the point is, the principle here is show that you really care by having meaningful conversations where you're actively listening to them, not with an agenda, not trying to like have the next pithy thing you're going to say but really just listen so that now you know them better you understand them better you can show more empathy and compassion towards them in their situation you can support them better and now they're going to trust you more you're going to trust them more it's this nice reciprocal kind of uh, building a, a mutual a relationship and mutual accountability and trust and that's what business is built upon we can't do any of that we can't build trust without listening first We look forward to having you join us.
1: No, I, I agree. The other thing is you want to do, it's important when you're working with people, is empower them. Let them use, if you give someone direction, and this is something I think is very important, you, you may say to them, this is your goal, this is your objective. Let them figure out how to get there let them work within their own framework of how they want to achieve it and give them advice but don't be prescriptive on telling everybody to do it your way and i think that's a very important thing as you also foster listening and going back and forth because you want to make sure your your employees feel that they're empowered to make decisions, that they really have an ability to impact things themselves and contribute. And I think when people feel that, they feel they're contributing and they feel they're part of the culture. And part of that is all creating a culture of, of, that people enjoy working within. And when you create that kind of culture, you'll get much more productivity from your employees than you will if you use a prescriptive approach uh, about how you want to accomplish things.
0: And do you have any other thoughts or ideas on how we can go about um, fostering more of a capability around active, uh, empathetic, empathetic listening, like where we can really listen in a way where pe- other people feel heard, where they feel recognized, where they feel understood?
1: Yeah, I, I, one of the things I did, this was even in a large organization. When I was at Xerox, we had 2,000 people at our headquarters of the U.S. operation that I ran and marketing and all the different jobs and uh, what I would do is town hall meetings where I would get all my employees and we'd get the conference room and I would once a quarter communicate where the business was within our division and within the company. I would even invite the CEO to come to a town hall. She might talk uh, prior to me uh, talking about the company and then I would talk. But then what we did, which I thought was the most important thing is, we would only talk for half an hour, and then the next half an hour, we would allow people to ask questions and answer their questions. And then, by the way, even if we couldn't answer all of them, they would do write ins, and then we would write back the responses to everybody in the room who had questions. And I think one of the things that is important, even in broader groups, when you bring them together, is allow them always to ask you questions. And one of the things I also found important was whenever I visited an office, uh, and I used to have 150 offices in the US and Canada, at Xerox, and I would try to visit each one every year. It was a lot of traveling. But when I got to an office, I would spend half the day out uh, with visiting customers, but half the day internal meeting with employee groups, meeting with round tables, allowing them to have questions, ask questions. Because I was the president and I wanted to be what I consider to be leading from the front, not leading from the rear. And what I mean by that is I was always available to answer the tough question and not be and be out there. So if uh, things were good or bad, they had a chance to ask me and get my direct response. And I always felt that was important. And the other thing it helped me with is. When I was in headquarters, I wasn't a guy sitting in the office all day people BSing me about what was going on. If we had service problems in a city, when you go out there and meet with the technicians, they would tell you. I'll tell you an interesting story. One time we were having a parts problem in New York. And uh, uh, what happened was our technicians were keeping parts in their lockers. And they're supposed to not do that. They're supposed to order and put the part in and do this. Well, I traveled with a technician. I went out with the technician servicing equipment. There I was, the president. I'm going into the account, watching him fix the machines. So I said to him, why, by the way, do you keep so many parts in your locker? He says, because our system of getting us parts is terrible. And if you don't fix that, the customers are going to be unhappy. So he told me everything that was wrong. And it explained to me why they were doing it. So everything that people were doing in the field, they were just trying to take care of the customer, which is what you should do. And our system of supply chain, getting the part to them was not working very effectively. So they were holding more parts and lockers and keeping our inventory up because they wanted to take care of the customer. But I would have never found that out listening to management headquarters. I found it out when I was out with the technician who every day was taking care of the people on the street and making sure the customers were happy
0: yeah that is a great example and it it takes a level of humility to be able to be willing to listen to those you know where the rubber meets the road frontline employees who are interfacing with the customers they know better than anybody and so often that input never makes its way all the way back up right there's not really Mm -hmm. mechanisms of communication to get it through all the layers back up to, to the executive level and, and to drive strategy. And in this case, it it was an essential change that had to happen. The only way you could possibly know about it is if you created an environment uh, where that employee felt safe enough to actually speak up, because how often do people get squashed for speaking up or challenging or pushing back, you know, and you could have just said, well, no, this is the policy. You're violating the policy. You could have reprimanded him. I mean, you could have put a complete chill, a, a chilling effect on all of that. Yep. Um, but the opposite happened, and he opened up and he shared, and then you were able to make the change that was needed.
1: Well, one of the things I always told our people was, you start out with a premise the customer is always right, and if it flows down from there, your people will do what's right to try to help the customer, and if they're doing that then it's never their problem. You know, if they're really going out of their way to help a customer do the right thing, generally, if they're doing that, it's generally a problem somewhere else and it's not their problem. And, you know, you you have to listen to the people on the front levels, just like you talked about. Our most important people were the sales service administrative people interfacing with the customer. They were number one. And you had to treat those people very, very well. And they had long tenure uh, you know, I'll tell you a sad story was when the World Trade Center happened, we had 10,000 machines in the trade centers. So when the trade centers w- went down, we wrote off 10,000 pieces of equipment that week. But the sad part, was, there was two good news and bad news. Two of my employees died, one who was operating equipment, uh, two of them were operating equipment in our business services. But the trade center happened right before all of our technicians would have gotten in that building. Now those technicians there were they an average technician does 250 machines? Now imagine 10,000 machines, how many service guys we would have had in there if it would have been 30 minutes later. So we were very lucky that a lot of these people uh, didn't uh, die. But I had a round table five days after the trade center in their building, watching the fires burn in the trade center with all of our service guys because they were devastated. Because what you didn't realize was In those buildings of many floors, all the customers they had serviced over the last 20 years had died. People, they had serviced their equipment, taking care of them. And these service people were just devastated that 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 happened. And it was the saddest thing, but one of the more rewarding things was to have time to spend with all them as they went through that because you, you really realize, by the way, what's really the most important person dealing with the customer? It's the service guy because they're there the most sales guys come and they sell it and then they sort of take off for the next, the next sale, but the support people are always there. And by the way, they listen to the customers. Like we were talking about what's important. They listen to everything they say and they talk to them all the time. And I learned a lot myself when that happened about really how important those people were. When you saw How much they cared about all those customers that had worked, all those people uh, that had died in the the tragedy of the Trade Center. And uh, it was very, very interesting. And I got a letter from one of the companies saying one of the guys who operated our equipment had actually helped get the people out of the building where he was working before he left. And he got out and they all got out. uh, uh, But unfortunately, we still lost two uh, that particular day, which losing any is a terrible thing, but it was, uh, uh, it was an amazing thing to see, uh, you know, how these people cared about their customers.
0: Yeah, that really is amazing. And, and a sad, tragic story, but a good example, um, and focusing on the human element <laughs> that so often can get lost in business. And we're, we're focusing on bottom line and, and, uh, but we, we need to recognize that we have to focus on the humanity in our people. We we are all human beings and we all are are wanting our organizations to be successful, but we have to look out for each other. And 9-11 was a great opportunity for that uh, during this horrific time. Uh, I think over the last couple of years during COVID, it's also given us an opportunity to reflect as leaders about the collective humanity, you know, within our organizations and, and what kind of a leader are we being? Are we, are we listening to our people, the needs of our people? Are we creating a safe environment? Are we creating opportunity for flexibility and accommodation uh, where necessary? All of those things are necessary and only as we can exercise and practice and show our, our humility, um, and, and seek out, actively seek out, listen, and then act on what we learn? Uh, will our people learn to trust us? And will we be able to, to benefit, Mutu- you know, mutually beneficial kind of situations where we but are maximizing I, I, the potential of our organization, but also looking out for our people?
1: Yeah, I think it's important for leaders not to lead with their recos. I mean, I think that's the worst thing you can do. Uh, And the other thing I think you need to understand, and I I always had this view, whenever I was in a company, whether it was Xerox or Metafast, I viewed I was there to help the company get better. The company wasn't about me. That company was going to be there long after I left. And if I did a good job in whatever I did, you were ensuring the company was going to go on. And let's face it, companies are about the people in the company not about the CEO or not about a couple of executives who could come and go at any given time. It's about creating an environment in a company where that helps all the employees who work in that company have a successful life. And that's what business is all about. And you can't forget that. I mean, you, you, you want to make sure, I mean, you look at me, I spent 33 years at one company and 20 on the board of Metafest. I wasn't a jumper around from companies to companies because my goal was to be loyal and to spend time developing long-term success uh, in where I was working. And today, uh, I left Metafast, new CEO, took over. He's doing a wonderful job there. They're doing extremely well. They're worth over $2 billion now in, in uh, value. And when I got there, I think it was $350 million it was worth. So uh, the company's got on and, and, and done very well. And I think that's, that's really got to be the goal for people. If you're an executive, your job is to, is to make the company better, do everything you can, but create a place where it's a great place for people to work.
0: Amen. Well said, Michael, it has just been a real pleasure. I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, my book is called From the Bench to the Boardroom. It's primarily sold through Amazon. You can't get it at Barnes Noble. Amazon's the biggest distributor, obviously. It was written with Dick Weiss, who's a Hall of Fame sports writer. Uh, wrote with the uh, New York Times and also the Philadelphia Daily News. So Dick is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. So it's a it's a combination. There's probably uh, half the book is about the sports, and half of the book is about business there are three chapters on the turnaround at xerox and three chapters on metafast which i think are very good chapters uh, on the business side but also the things that i took out of sports that helped me in business are in the other chapters and i think that's uh, that's the good thing and really the story's primary focus is i was a uh, uh, a lower middle class kid from Philadelphia, whose parents didn't even graduate high school. And my brother and I, both coming from that family, were able to make it to CEOs of companies. So it just says that anybody can achieve uh, if you do the right things. And that was really the message of my book. Any, any person can be successful and do what I did. And I just wanted to lay that out as to how it happened for me.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Michael can do for you. Check out the book, uh, all the the great uh, wisdom that Michael can share with you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.